With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's Wednesday, May 27th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined once again by our Tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Paul, uh, we, we finally have some movement. We finally got something to, to, to really sink our teeth into and, and talk about here as the, uh, the owners came with their economic proposal uh, on, on Tuesday, gave it to the players, and the players said, eh, no thanks. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the owners gave him a high a high hard one. I think uh, maybe the first uh, first uh, you know probe into uh, negotiations with this uh, you know salary cuts, uh, sliding salary cuts, starting at uh, Mike Trout and, and Garrett Cole, for, who were making what AAV about thirty six, thirty five million each, and going down to uh, you know the guys making the, the major league minimum of just over. Uh, you know, 56, uh, five, six, 56, uh, well, about a, high, a half a million, you know, just over a right. half a million. Uh, 526,000 uh, is the, the league minimum. Uh, and really the idea that, that, that was sort of introduced with this proposal, it's almost like uh, forced socialism. You know, the, the guys at the top have to take a bigger pay cut than the guys at the bottom making making less. And you're talking about, you know, more uh, more than 60% of the guys in the league are making between somewhere between that league minimum of 526,000 and, you know, one to $2 million. So those are the guys who would, would hurt less. They'd still be taking a half a, you know, a half a season pay cut, half their salary would be gone, but they would be hurting less than uh, guys like Mike Trout and Garrett Cole, who, like you said, are, are making, more than $35 million a year average uh, on their, on their contracts, those guys would be taking a 70 some percent pay cut. And it, while it looks to, to you and me and to the average Joe, it, it looks like it's, you know, a, you know, a no brainer almost uh, to these guys who are in the union who, who have, who have fought for, you know, what they've, what they've earned and, and what their, their position, you know, dictates that they, they receive. Uh, these players have sort of dug their heels in and said, "No, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna work." Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a shock to a lot of the guys that the owners uh, came at them like this. Uh, you know, these guys haven't been through a, a workout, a, a walkout, or a strike, Joe. They, this this generation of players hasn't really been tested, and this is a test for them. 
Uh, they've got the pub, public opinion against them. You know, every they've got the the pandemic against them. You know, they've got uh, you know a rising unemployment against them, and it's going to be really interesting to see how these guys these guys handle this. And uh, just just as an example, Joe, like um, here here's uh, how the how um, this uh, this this owner's proposal you know uh, breaks down. Like a guy like Shane Bieber. He was mm-hmm. going to be the opening day starter on March 26 for the Indians. You know, under normal circumstances, he would have made $623,200 for the season, just, you know, just over major league minimum. Uh, now, on the March 27th agreement, when uh, the players said, you know, they would play a shortened season based on games played at a prorated percentage of their deal, of their salary. Uh, in, in that regards, he would have made three hundred fifteen thousand dollars. Now, under Tuesday's proposal by the uh, by the owners, that that three hundred fifteen thousand is cut to two hundred seventy four thousand and change. That's uh, he's still making like eighty seven percent of the, that that eighty two. You know the the first pro rated version, but mm-hmm. you know that's a pretty big cut and. Uh, Here's another from Mike Clevenger. He, you know, he agreed to arbitration. I mean, he, right. agreed, he avoided arbitration in January, made 4.1 million under the March agreement when, uh, you know, the season was uh, postponed because of the virus that would have cut, that would have gone down to 2.02 million. And now under Tuesday's, um, you know, proposal, that's 1.3 million. So he's, He's taken almost a 34% cut in his salary. And, yes, these guys are making a lot of money. Uh, but I don't think anybody wants to get, have their salary cut 34%. But, you know, and it's interesting to me that a lot of front offices, MLB front offices, have taken this approach. You know, the highest wage earners get the biggest cut. You mm-hmm. know, Manfred in, in MLB uh, league offices, he took the highest cut. And all his, uh, you know, lieutenants – took the biggest cut. So, you know, this, they're, they're passing this along to the players. It's the same formula. Right. And, and really it's a reflection of what's going on in America right now. Uh, everybody really has, has been affected by the, the coronavirus pandemic and business has across the board, either people have lost their jobs, their, their unemployment is, is way up and that's the way that they've gone or they've been asked to take furloughs or pay cuts, percentage pay cuts as well. Uh, interesting. You brought up Clevenger. This is a, a tweet from Clevenger uh, shortly after the um, the the proposal went out and the reaction and all that. Uh, Clevenger always sort of his mystical sort of uh, <laughs> you know uh, approach to things was incense uh, burning in the background. <laughs> I mean, you could get it. he 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 tweets. Uh, there will always be bigger battles than those on any athletic field. We were given freedom to fight for our right to not get taken advantage of by anyone, anyone all in capital letters. Open your eyes, see and read what's happening, especially to the minor leaguers. We will stay united. Hashtag this is bigger than money. So, I mean, that to me sounds like a player who's very committed to not only you know, the, the, the guys around him were making, making money on his level, but also the minor leaguers who no one's even talking about right now. Yeah. And they're what they're most of the, they, the, the agreement was to pay them through May, right? 400 bucks a week. Right. Right. And so some, we're coming some right up on that. 
some teams are committing to paying their their guys beyond that uh, a, a stipend of of four hundred dollars a week uh, for for most minor leaguers and keeping their benefits. Some teams are continuing that through June. Some teams are saying, I believe it was Oakland that said, you know, they're not going to do that. Uh, they were one of the first teams to come out and say that. So, yeah, it, it's you, – you can talk – you can point to one or two guys at that top with that 35 to $36 million, Garrett Cole and Mike Trout, and deservedly so. Those are, are two of the top guys in, in the game. But you're not even thinking about the minor leaguers who, who – are bound to these teams and can't go and play elsewhere and make any money. It's not like there is anywhere else to play right now anyhow, and it's not like there's anybody hiring them, but they have no options. They're, they're stuck basically not making anything right now, and, and it, it, maybe they've got to go to work. Maybe they've got to, got to go to Home Depot or Walmart. Yeah, and you know the the players' association has never given never given the minor leagues minor leaguers a, a second thought. Basically, right. I mean they 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 don't include them in the union. They're not covered in the union. You know, and so you know I I you know I I think if uh, you know you know I don't buy this uh, you know this this thing that all of a sudden the 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 big league players are worried the, the players' association I should say in general is worried about the. Uh, the minor leaguers. If if they were, they would have acted and uh, brought them into the union or given them some protection a long time ago. This has been going on for years, and uh, so. Uh, but still, it's this is an interesting strategy by the owners. You know, maybe turn the the, the lower class against the higher class here. St- start some class warfare within some dissension in the ranks, and uh, uh, that's that's another uh, thing that that's kind of a subliminal little message going on here. Right. Uh, all right. So where does this leave us now? Uh, the, the proposal's gone from the league to the players. The players are going to take a day or so to sort of chew it over and uh, talk amongst themselves. Uh, what do they counter with? How do they counter this proposal? And, and what does it mean? Are, and are we looking at uh, this compressed window like, you know, what, June 1st? We want to we see something come out of this? or, or uh, is that a deadline? Is that an artificial deadline or is that something that can be moved? Yeah, I think it's going to have to be moved, Joe. I mean, if, uh, you know, the original proposal was, I think the owner's proposal was to start spring training around June 10th, wasn't it? Or mm-hmm. right around in there. Uh, so I think, you know, this thing, you know, hopefully, you know, this, uh, you know, this thing gets settled June 1st, that would be a nice artificial deadline, but, you know, I wouldn't. It, it it wouldn't surprise me if it went past that. Um, you know, as as for as regarding what uh, the players do now. You know, I guess as I there, there's been some uh, you know talk about them asking to extend the season. You know, for that more than 82 games, which which would allow them to earn more in base salary, earn more money per game played. Um, and uh, and I think uh, you know also some uh, perhaps uh, you know proposing to the owners about deferred payments, right? Yeah, and that's an idea that that we heard sort of uh, it first came up with the the draft and the, the the proposals for the the new sort of setup for the draft where uh, the slot payments for the the first five rounds guys and and the higher money there could could all be made in deferred payments to. And in that case, you're talking about 
uh, young players, minor league play, or um, you know, high school and college guys coming in who it's not as important that they sort of receive their their money up front or whatnot. Uh, you know, the idea of the of deferred payments extending to major leaguers, though, that's something we haven't heard before. Yeah, and and that would be interesting to see uh, how how the um you know, how the owners would react to that um, and uh, how much uh, debt they want to consolidate and, to, and bring, take on to the next, the coming years. It's uh, it, it's, I guess it's a, it's a proposal. It's, it's an idea. Or <laughs> I was talking to one agent last night and he told me uh, we could just, they could just agree to, to agree to the contract they agreed to on March 26th. So. And, and, uh, and just, but, and what just bankrupt all of baseball and and you know have to contract teams yeah that'd be great yeah but so uh you know that's still a bone of contention the players think that's a that's a that they they already took a salary cut and shouldn't take another salary cut and the owners uh say uh you know that was we did that deal uh when we thought fans were going to be in the stands so what if what if the owners just open up their books and prove to the players that they they're in a financial position where they they can't afford to pay them, you know that that full prorated scale. Uh, if they did that, wouldn't that solve this whole problem? Yeah, they're never going to do that. I mean, yeah, I think I, they, I understand uh, they're never going to do that. But. <laughs> but I think they've given the the player the uh, MLB has sent the players association some information, but not the information the, the players want. You know, the player, the owners are claim, you know, the, the, here's what the players believe. The players believe that the owners, you know, had, have been rolling in money for the last five years when MLB is, has taken record profits that some of the teams have invested badly and the, the pandemic, you know, blew up those, you know, made, the, the pandemic blew up those in investments in their faces and now they want the owner, the players to help bail them out. So uh, I think that's, uh, you know, that's going to be a bone of contention, but you know, eventually you got to get down to reality. You got to, if you're going to, are you going to play or are you not going to play? And uh, it, we will find out. And, and that sort of leads us into our next, uh, our next topic, our next area when they, when they do finally come back, uh, and and how quickly they can get this thing ramped up and going. We, we we're looking at these dates that have they've all been thrown out there. You, you, we mentioned the June 10th day. We mentioned the the July 4th holiday as a, the the possible start. Uh, we still don't have any idea what a schedule would look like. We know who we have a rough idea who the opponents could be for each team, but we don't really know what a schedule would in, entail and and how that schedule could be affected by you know, travel restrictions or the virus itself or, or anything in that regard. But just the idea of coming back and quickly ramping up over maybe a three-week period before starting in, in early July, uh, the, the parts of this Indians roster, the parts of this Indians uh, 40 to whatever 50-man roster that, that they could put together that seem like the most clear advantage for, for Terry Francona and this organization are, you know, the, the starting rotation, obviously the depth and the quality at the top of the starting rotation is what this team has relied on for really the last, you know, almost four or five seasons. And 
moving into a compressed window like this, how much of an advantage is that going to be? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question, Joe. Uh, I think that's, a, you know, because obviously, you know, three weeks isn't enough time to get the, pit, the starting rotation ready. So it's, you know, really, really important on the work these guys have been doing since, you know, they decided to, uh, you know, set the end of May, June 1st as their kind of sellout date. Uh, and they did that right in late April. So mm-hmm. how much, you know, how much, how much, how many bullpens has Carrasco thrown, Bieber thrown, uh, Plutko thrown, Clevenger thrown? How 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 healthy is Clevenger? And so you you get the the pitchers into camp, you get them, you, you see, uh, Terry Francona and Carl Willis, uh, Ruben Niebla, see how much, you know, what what kind of load they can carry, how stretched out they are. And you still haven't pitched in game situations. You know, how many inter-squad games are you going to be able to get in to with, with three weeks or, you know, in a, that, that shortened spring training? So I don't know if that, you know, does that blunt your advantage, the, the, the Indians' advantage of starting pitching? Because if these guys can only go three innings or mm-hmm. two or three or four innings, you know, the first two or three times around the rotation, how – how much of a disadvantage is that when you're only playing a short season, you need to start quickly and you need to take advantage of a team strength. And now you look at, for an example, somebody like a Shane Bieber, who I think he was second in the league last year, second in the American league in innings pitched more than 200 innings pitched. Uh, he came into camp and there was some talk early on back in March of, do we slow this guy down? Do we, we, we let him build up slowly because of the number of innings and the workload that he had last year. And then it was decided somewhere in there that, no, we're just going to let him go and we're going to let Shane be Shane. And, and he, he sort of took to that. He really liked that. And he was at the point where he had three, what, three, maybe four, I think three starts, three yeah, or four starts uh, under his belt in, in spring training. He had gone out to three innings plus or, or, or wherever he was there. Uh, yeah, he was at four innings, Joe. Four innings was his last start in spring training with seven Ks, four scoreless innings. Yeah, that's you know, seven Ks. That's not bad. Uh, but he was right there, and it looked like he needed one, maybe two more uh, starts in spring training to, to go out there and be ready to take the ball and go five-plus innings if that's possible. I, I, I don't see that as a possibility coming back again but he would be somebody who I would think would be the closest to being able to do that in, uh, on the staff. Uh, Clevenger, because of the knee injury, you, you're not going to know. Right. But apparently, according to Carl Willis, who we talked to last week, uh, he's 100% in terms of, you know, leg. the only thing they're really worried about with him is fielding. You know, is he able to move off the mound? And that's something they haven't seen uh, the agility work because he wasn't, you know, active during camp. Uh, Carrasco is a whole nother sort of set of issues because you're not only concerned about his endurance and his buildup and, and all that, you're also concerned about his exposure to this virus and his, his compromised immune system. And how much do you want to want to push Carlos Carrasco, you know, the oldest guy on the, on the staff, right? Not, not that he's old by any you know stretch, but he's, he's got a lot of factors working against him there. So really with those three guys, those are, there's, there's some concerns, but not much. And then you've got 
you know, Plusek and Savali, who I think anything – Savali looked great in camp. Yeah. Uh, anything they're going to give you is, I, I think, just a bonus. Uh, and, and then Plucko – Plucko's sort of like the, the linchpin there. If, if he can, you know, be an anchor as a, like a number four starter, I think, I think that's great. But do you go to a six, six-man rotation if that's the case? Wow, that's a, that's a good question. I know they've they've always avoided that for some reason. They do not like to do that because you know your top starters are, are your and especially your number one guy, your number one and two guy are, are don't get regular work. You know they're not working on a regular rotation. But who knows? I think all bets would be off. And on a season like this, which is more of a sprint than than you know a long distance race. So they, they might have to do that. And, and I, I know we were talking on some earlier podcast, Joe, where they could, you know, piggyback some of these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, bring, uh, you know, let's say uh, police that goes three innings, you bring uh, uh, Savali in for two more and then go to the bullpen. And, and they've, they're constructed and they're built to, to sort of accommodate that as well. You're talking about guys like uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez, who, who can start or come in and, and give you give you some innings there. He's proven, uh, at least last year, he showed that he can keep you in a ball game. He can give you a chance to win a ball game, whether he starts or whether he leaves. Uh, even a guy like a, a Cam Hill, uh, we, you know, we, we don't know or haven't seen much of him, but he's going to be on this roster. I, I, I you know, firmly believe that he'll be on the, the opening day roster. And uh, he can maybe even give you some innings there in, in the middle and, and, and sort of, bridge a gap to the late inning guys where you can piece things together. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, and you, you, the thing I, that I wonder about is the bullpen going to get overexposed, at least in the early part of this season, it should this season start, you know, it, we, the bullpen has been sliced and diced a lot over the last couple of years. And uh, there's, there's some new guys in there that are going to have to fill some roles and bridge bridge the gap between the uh, starters and, and the late inning guys like, uh, you know, uh, Whitgren and Hand. Who, who gets the ball to those guys? Right. And we, we talked about guys like uh, Phil Maton and Hunter Wood having to step up and they're going to be asked to contribute innings at some point this year. Uh, but really the, the, the linchpin, sort of the, the key in that, that bullpen, I think right now for my money is going to be Adam Simber and, and his ability to, face left-handers is going to be really a, a huge key for the team because if he can't be effective and stay in there for an inning uh, against this three-batter rule, this new three-batter three, three batter minimum rule, uh, that there, there's a giant hole in the, in the Indians' bullpen that, that's going to expose them, like you said. Uh, but, uh, hey, don't worry. A lot of teams – if things get stretched out like this, a lot of teams are going to have trouble with the uh, exposed bullpens, uh, I think, in, in, in the long run. Definitely, Joe. Definitely. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's kind of a good look at, at the rotation and the bullpen. And hopefully uh, we get to argue about it. We get to see it unfold a little bit here. Boy, it'd be great to actually watch these guys go out there and perform and then have some sort of a uh, you know, basis to, to analyze and, and criticize and, and all that. Uh, let's, uh, let's jump into some, some questions here from our, our listeners and our readers, uh, the subscribers to subtext, Indian subtext, uh, cleveland.com slash subtext, or text your, your name to uh, 216-208-4346 to subscribe, Indian subtext, $3.99 a month, and you get uh, 
little little nuggets of uh, information from Hoinsey and myself. Uh, anything that we pick up, we pass along to you first on Indian subtext. Uh, Hoinsey, what do the uh, the listeners have to say? Okay, this is one. Uh, you know, uh, he did not take uh, take well to my uh, take on Blake Snell. My hey, Hoinsey's. Uh oh. I think what you said in siding with Blake Snell today is ridiculous, if not appalling. These players are young, healthy, and in the lowest risk category. The virus attacks the old and those with underlying conditions. Um, let's see. Uh, lots of people are working in public places like grocery stores because they have to support their families. And they're making the tiniest fraction of what Snell would make if he played baseball. It's not like he would be at the cash register at Walmart. What do you have to say for yourself? And this is from Robert, Robert Simone. Simone. Defend Simone. yourself, Hoinsey. <laughs> what do you have to say for yourself? That's, I'm just saying, you, you know, if a ball player, ball players aren't frontline workers. They're not emergency. You know, as much as we admire, you know, uh, emergency room doctors and, and nurses and, and the police and the, the ambulance drivers, and, you know, and the EMT uh, uh, workers, the ball players aren't, aren't, don't have to work on the front line. If they're, a, if they're, they're just like you and me. I mean, if you don't want to work, if you're afraid for your health, don't go to work. Don't go to work. You don't have to go to work if you can afford it. And obviously Blake Snell can afford it, but I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with players being concerned about their health and, uh, uh, being concerned about, you know, per perhaps getting the virus and, and passing it on to their teammates, their coaches, and their families. Uh, if if it's if it is truly, if they truly believe they're putting themselves at risk, they should have the the right to uh, not play and to say that. And uh, you know, Blake Snell didn't say it in the in the most uh, in the most melodious way. You know, he kind of. You know, it, it made me cringe for, with the way he said it, uh, but, you know, I agreed with what he said. Right. I, I think the, the problem here has a lot to do with the players coming from and sounding like uh, there's a lot of privilege there. You know, these, these guys are elite athletes. They're the best at what they do. But essentially, at the end of the day, they're, they're playing a game uh, and getting paid for it. And for – average Joe working class folks who see that it, it doesn't sit well with them when they, they start arguing about dollars and cents when people are losing their lives, losing their livelihoods and, you know, really struggling with this, this virus throughout the, the country. Tom Glavin was right. Tom Glavin, you know, came out last week and said the, the players are going to be made to look like the bad guys, no matter what happens with this. Because they're either going to be, you know, getting what they want and making ridiculous amounts of money to, to play a game of baseball, or they're going to get screwed over by the owners. And it, it, it's, it's, not, it, it's not going to sit well with the fans if, if baseball, you know, hits a roadblock and doesn't play a season because the players come off looking like, you know, they're whining about money. Uh, I, I, you're right. Blake Snell didn't say it in the, the most effective way, but his words really rang true with a lot of players. His words touched guys like Mike, Mike Clevenger who said, yeah, you're right on. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, here's another question. Uh, uh, um, 
Baseball players' salaries are ridiculous in the first place. It's the owner's fault for paying them so much, but that's another issue. They need to give – the players need to give to the game and the fans one season without complaining about salary cuts. With people out of work – with people out of work and waiting in line for food, players complaining that they are only getting $1 million instead of $5 million this year um, – is ridiculous. I mean, what stress must they, what stress must they be under? Um, baseball is a wonderful game and those lucky enough to be good enough to make it to the major leagues. Owe it to the, to the game, owe the game to the fans. Uh, I'm just an ordinary person. Um, thanks for reading Andy Durkin. So I don't know, Joe. I mean, I, I have a, pr- I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm like a lot of people. I, I don't wrap the, the game of baseball in the flag, in the hot dogs, in, in July 4th with fireworks going on. It's a game. Players get paid to play the game. And uh, I, I think they have a right to voice their opinion uh, if they're unhappy. And, you know, this is really the first year, you know, rarely do players complain about money. You know, I, I mean, yeah, they may do it privately, but not a uh, not across an industry. And uh, at least, you know this. And this, I think, this is a unique case. And um, I just think, uh, you know, if <laughs> I I don't think the players owe the public owe the public anything. I mean, they're playing a game. They're they're they should. If the, if if you want to go watch them, yes, go watch them. Go pay to watch them. And and. It's fun. It's a, it's a diversion, but uh, to put them to put all the onus on the players, I think, is wrong. Right, uh, and I, just for the sake of argument, not because I believe this position, because I I certainly agree more that the the players are you know deserve what they've worked for and deserve what they've negotiated for. Uh, I, I will I I'll, I'll make the argument maybe. Guys like Mike Trout and Garrett Cole can just sort of, sort of take one for the team here and 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 step back and and not just take one for the team, but take one for the country, like this 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 reader says. Uh, I, 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 for me, I, I just find it hard to argue this this side of it, but I'm going to try to, I guess. Uh, you've got people waiting in unemployment lines and missing out on uh you know a summer's worth of activities and they're sitting at home and the ability to bring them uh a tv show like baseball you know terry pluto uh said it in last week's uh podcast he called it some sort of tv show something for them to watch something new something that they can connect to it would benefit the game so much more and connect more with the fans you're talking about baseball that's done such a terrible job of uh marketing its players now you have this great opportunity, a captive audience, a nation that's been sitting at home for, for two months. You need to get something in front of them. You need to put new material in front of them. We can only watch the, the game one of the 1995 division series on replay on STO or Major League Baseball Network, uh, you know, so many times before we're starting to recite, you know, Bob Uecker's, uh color commentary which was tremendous, by the way, as I watched it yesterday. It was pretty awesome, uh, just looking back on it. Uh, one more point I wanted to make here, though. Um, uh, the, the players, or, or a couple of players, actually, have, have come out and said 
they don't like that this is that uh, Major League Baseball Network insiders like Ken Rosenthal, uh, Bob Nightingale, those kind of guys, uh, John Heyman have have had this information almost as as soon as uh, it's been released and before the players have had a chance to look at it. I think Jake Diekman, uh, reliever for the A's, uh, tweeted something along the lines of, "Boy, it'd be nice if the the union and the players." got a chance to look at these proposals before they were being argued about in the media. Uh, so, so that's a point, you know, the, the, the owners are sort of playing it that way too, is they're, they're turning public opinion against the players as well. But again, when you've got a Blake Snell coming out and saying what he said, it, it, it's not, it's not that far of a leap. Yeah. And, and the leaking goes on on both sides, you know, right, I mean, right. they, they're the, both sides are, are, are making their cases. You can you, you better believe that, and uh, uh, it, it is funny though. It, in baseball negotiations, there's no such thing as uh, private negotiations. You know, in the other sports, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, you really don't hear too much about you know the back and forth between the owners and players. In baseball, it's out there you know every day. It's it's like it's like uh, you know the morning news. It's 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 out there and. Uh, it, it, it makes it very, very interesting, and you got to have a tough skin on both sides, a thick, right. a thick skin. Okay, uh, this is from Casey Dubell from Laf- uh, Lafferty, Ohio. I see that the Indians only have – just have over $40 million in future commitments on the books after this season. What are the chances the Indians strike now and lock up some young core players like Bieber, Klesak, Savali, Mercado, et cetera? Uh, and maybe take a run possibly at extending Clevenger and Jose to keep the window open after uh, post-Lindor, post-Francisco Lindor? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that would be tremendous. I, I just don't think that – I don't think the timing is right right now for that to happen. Uh, I, I think you're talking that's more of a, a conversation for an off-season sort of thing, maybe a, a December-January sort of conversation there. but. I I would I would think that those would be goals that would have been identified by Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff a, a while ago. Those are those specific players that you, that she just mentioned uh, would have been targets, you know, on the books long ago. Uh, and and as soon as the timing is right, they're they're going to enter into some sort of conversations. Uh, as far as Jose Ramirez, though, uh, this is a guy who you've got playing on probably one of the most team-friendly contracts in all of baseball yeah. for, for the production that he's been giving you. Uh, I, I can't see them messing with that or, or you know, renegotiating that because as soon as you go to his his representation, they're going to ask for the sun, moon, and stars. Yeah, and, and Ramirez, you know, I've, I, the Indians, you know, r- rarely do they, do they uh, tear up a contract and uh, negotiate a new one until you're at the, uh, the end of the deal. And the Indians, um, they, did that, with, they nine, did that with, they did that with Kluber, right? Yeah. But I think he was what he had. They pit, picked up his option, right? Right. And they extended yeah. it when they picked up his option. Yeah. Then, uh, but uh, let's see, Ramirez is signed through 2021 with club options for 22 and 23. So, you know he's set, <laughs> and they're and they're good club options too. It's yeah. not like they're like break the bank club options. They're they're less than ten million dollars, right? Yeah, and uh, so he's he's not going anywhere as long as he continues to play at the level he's playing at. I think Joe that that this is really going to be interesting 
whatever comes out of this season, whether they play or not, you know, when late, late this year, it's going to be interesting to see how these teams, especially the Indians, are financially and, and what they can and can't do regarding payroll. I mean, this is a team that's cut their payroll for the last three years. They're going through, a, a, you know, a, an unprecedented uh, season or period of time where, you know, you know ownership is going to take, take a hit here. And just, you know, how stable is this organization coming out of this uh, pandemic? And meanwhile, uh, John Sherman is, you know, running the, the Royals instead of the Indians, which uh, we, we find out after the fact could have been a, a possibility. There was a, a plan in place and, you know, a guy with definitely deeper pockets could have maybe come in and, and, and given the, the club a, a more of a financial boost. Yeah, how do you think John Sherman's feeling right now? Well, welcome to Major League Baseball. Oh man, <laughs> he, he walks in ready to ready to rebuild the Orioles, the Royals, and there's there's no season. <laughs> there's no season, and there's no money coming in. That's I mean, think right. about that. You just pay you just paid a billion dollars for a franchise, and it, it's they're going to take more money. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> he might have, he's going to have some explaining to do to his partners. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh, you know, just on, on today's look back at, at tribe history, we're talking about uh, Frank Robinson. What are your what are your memories of and and, and just interactions with uh, Frank Robinson over the years? You know, why well, I've told this story before. I was working at the Painesville Telegraph when he made his uh, major league debut mm-hmm. uh, as as uh, the first uh, uh, African American to manage a big league club. So you know, they they sent me down to do a sidebar on the on the season opener. And, you know, I, I'm late as usual. I can't find a parking place. <laughs> so I'm listening. I'm, I'm trying to find a parking place, listen to the game on the radio. Robinson comes up and hits a home run. You know, the first, first game as a, as a first African-American manager, I'm down there to cover it. I'm listening to it on the radio. So, as you're trying to find a parking spot outside yeah, the old stadium. That, that, set, that set my baseball career up very nicely. It was, it was a microcosm of Hoinsey on the road as he's, he's scrambling to get from from the train to the press box. Yes, uh, it's not hard for me to, to, to picture that. It was, what, 1975? 75. 75. And, I, uh, the, and I, an, another memory, Joe, I remember when they unveiled the, uh, the statue of Robinson, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, in, in uh, 2017, and uh, – you know, he, he was always such a tough guy, you know, he's always like, uh, you know, he, he challenged umpires. He, you know, he was a hard nosed player when he played, he was fighting and arguing and a great player. And he was like that as a manager. And, and he kind of, you were intimidated by him a little bit. And, but on that day in 2017, he was 81, he was frail and he, you could tell he really enjoyed, you know, I think he was surprised that the Indians had done this for him. And, um, but the thing that got me is he was still fighting, uh, for, uh, for, to boost minorities. He was still fighting that good fight to, uh, get more minorities into managers as managers and in the coaching ranks and, and into the front office. And he was still encouraging people to do that. He wasn't satisfied with the state of the game. And, you know, this is a guy that had, you know, was a great player, two time you know, MVP in, in, in either league, uh, 12-time All-Star, Hall of Famer, 
Uh, he'd been a, you know, managed three, you know, he managed what the Indians, the, the Giants, the Orioles, the, uh, the, the Nationals and the Expos. He, uh, you know, was a front office, front office guy. I think he was a GM in Baltimore. He was a front office, you know, front office guy and for Major League Baseball. He had done all this, you know, and he had led the way. And, uh, but he was still, he was still, you know, you still saying Major League Baseball could do better. And he wanted to encourage people, you know, minorities and all people to, to follow to follow his path to if he he believed if you wanted to manage, if you wanted to be a front office guy, you could do it, but you had to work hard at it. And that's directly, you know, leads back to Jackie Robinson and and his, his sort of stance is that, you know, Jackie Robinson to, to his dying day was always saying there needs to be more, there needs to be more representation And and Frank Robinson, you could see had clearly picked up that mantle and, 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 and taken it all the way through. Uh, with his career and his, his post-playing days. Yeah. Just to have that fire still burning inside you when you're 80, you know, that, that, that impressed me. That, that, that stuck with me. Well, tell me about it next year when you turn 80. I just, no, <laughs> ah, never mind. All right. Hainsey, uh, you know, I got to do that. Come on. Yeah. Uh, as we get in, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's Wednesday. This is the biggest week in terms of negotiations for this, uh, this potential 2020 season. Uh, we'll see how things turn out by the end of the week. Maybe we'll have a response from the the players. Maybe we won't. Maybe it'll be the weekend. Uh, we'll 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 keep plugging away, and as we possibly get closer and closer to to playing baseball in in 2020. Uh, Hoinsey, uh, great ride today. We'll uh, we'll catch you again tomorrow. Okay, Joe. Thanks, man. <laughs>